It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again, second day in a row with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing this morning? Good, good. Best day of the year, best time of the year, postseason. Get the ranking show tonight as we record this. I suspect Alabama will remain number two. And I think I mentioned this uh, on yesterday's show. Isn't it? Here's the strangest thing to me about the recruiting rankings. I mean, I'm sorry, where the playoff committee rankings are. If Alabama wins out, as, as we hope they do, Alabama beats Arkansas, beats Auburn, beats Georgia, Alabama's not only in the playoff, we're the number one seed, right? We're number one. We'll be the number one seed if we win out. No one's going to leapfrog Alabama if you beat Arkansas, Auburn, and then number one Georgia. Alabama's the number one seed. But the conventional wisdom, the conventional line of thinking is that if Alabama loses, let's say, to, to either Arkansas or Auburn, or loses to Georgia, almost certainly Alabama is out. So the way the system is constructed this year, as crazy and frankly stupid as this sounds, Alabama will either make the playoff as the number one seed or not at all. That's nuts. That is, yeah. Um, And we talked about that a little bit yesterday, but it's worth repeating because that's something that not enough people are talking about. It, right. That is wild to me. The fact that the SEC championship, it is going to be not only the first round of the college football playoff in a lot of ways, um, it's also potentially going to be the national championship because I think that either there's not a team right now, Ohio State, I, I'll go ahead and say, I think Ohio State could give Alabama some trouble. Now, people are going to point to last year's game and say, you know, yeah, uh, Ohio State's not as good as they were last year in a lot of people's opinions. Alabama didn't either, but, you know, based off of the the margin that it was last year, uh, Alabama should still be, you know, quite a bit ahead. And that's kind of, you know, that there's some logic there to some degree. You know, it's a different team. You can't automatically assume that. But uh, it, it does look like, at least on paper, that Ohio State could give you know, Alabama some trouble and or Georgia some trouble, just depending. But there's not a team that I feel like could beat either one of these two teams. Now, Georgia, I think, is ahead of Alabama. Alabama's biggest problem, you know, standing in their way of winning a national title is you got to go through Arkansas, you got to go through Auburn, you got to go through Georgia, and then more than likely, even if you beat Georgia, you're probably going to have to beat Georgia a second time. It's always tough to beat a team twice, especially a team that everybody feels like is much, much better than you right now. Um, in a single season. So if Alabama is going to win a national title this year, it's going to be a very steep uphill battle uh, that they have, you know, coming, um, you know, which, you know, that they could be, they could achieve that. Um, they could win all those games or they could stumble at any point. I couldn't really tell you one way or the other. Yeah, that seeding thing, it still blows my mind. It, it's, it's sort of like the football gods, the college football gods are telling Alabama about Alabama's like, well, we want to be in the playoff this year. And, and, and the rank, the committee's telling Alabama, if you're the best team, we'll let you in. If you're number one, we'll let you in. But uh, 
you know, if, if, if two, three, four, no, no, you got to be the best or you're not getting in. Uh, that, it sort of feels that way question because it's something that i started thinking about i'm all about precedents that are being set now granted each committee is different you know their decision making could be different but i've been a huge advocate for alabama can drop arkansas or auburn go to the sec championship win it by beating georgia and still make it to the college football playoffs some people do not That's believe true. that I, I, I feel very confident that, that they would here's the thing though precedent has been set here but the sec is viewed very differently than the big 10 if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, but they lose to Auburn or Arkansas and they have two losses. When have we seen another team win their conference, have two losses, a team that they had the head to head victory against goes and they do not. It was Penn State and Ohio State. Now, the difference is Georgia still getting in. Penn State did not get in. Just one of them, you know, we're getting in. I think Georgia still going and that would be the difference. But it is a very similar situation. Yeah, that, that's the difference. I agree with you 100%. It would be – that's how Alabama – if Alabama loses to Auburn but beats Georgia, I agree. A- Alabama is in as a two-loss SEC champion. The bigger question would be can Alabama get in with a close loss to Georgia and be a two-loss non-champion and get in? My answer to that is yes, Alabama can still get in under that scenario – it's just that seven or eight other outcomes have to also happen. Oregon has to lose to Utah. Uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both have to lose again. Uh, Ohio State has to win out. That knocks out Michigan. It knocks out Michigan State. Cincinnati has to lose to SMU or Houston. All those things are very realistic, by the way. That could all very easily actually happen. So, yeah, Alabama can get in with a close loss to Georgia. It's just going to be dependent on the outcome of literally seven to eight other games all falling the way Alabama would need it to. The ones that I think that Alabama could have a conversation over um, that would create a debate where Alabama could get in, I still, I'm going to continue to reiterate, I think an undefeated Cincinnati, a two-loss Alabama could still get in over them. Um, A one-loss Notre Dame team. I still think Alabama could get in over them. Not saying that they would, not saying that they would get in necessarily over Cincinnati. I'm just saying that's my opinion. But they would need all those other teams, the Michigan States, the Michigans. Uh, you know, I think something would need to happen with Oregon, of course, like you mentioned. Um, you know, all of those things would have to happen. And then it still wouldn't be a guarantee. But now I think Alabama would squarely be in the conversation. So if you're an Alabama fan, um, you're pulling hard for kind of chaos over these last few weeks because Ohio State's playing Michigan, they're playing Michigan State still. Um, Oklahoma's playing Oklahoma State, and they have another pretty good game, uh, Iowa State. And Iowa State has played spoiler in the past, and Oklahoma's already in a rough position. Um, but if they drop a second game, they're out of it. I don't care if they win the Big 12. does not matter. Big 12's not going um, because a two-loss Oklahoma team is not going to be viewed in the same way that a two-loss Alabama team would be conference champion or not. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it is very interesting as we start to get into the thick of things um, down the stretch. We're now realizing there are a lot of scenarios where Alabama could still get into the playoff, but it's still at the same time kind of feels like you you beat the top team in the country or you don't go. That's right. I mean, it's it's you want I, I want to say Alabama's easiest path in is to win out. Uh, it's not going to be easy to beat Georgia. It's not going to be easy to beat Arkansas and Auburn uh, either. I mean, those are quality teams. Um, I, I think a good question. It's not going to be in our mailbag, and we need to get to the mailbag instead of answering our own questions. But uh, who th- there are, you know, top twenty-five teams that aren't going to beat 
Arkansas and Auburn in back-to-back games. It's not an easy thing to do uh, at Alabama. Nick Saban has made us believe it's easy because, you know, we've watched him do it time and time again. But but winning consecutive games against quality SEC teams, it's just not easy. Nick Saban has just made it look easy at times. Doesn't mean that it's easy. Completely agree. And like you said, we got the mailbag today. I uh, got some great questions. Some of them are going to be combination questions because they were kind of similar. So I think overall we probably have five different topics that we're going to be covering We'll have to move relatively quickly through it, but I think we're going to be able to. I'm confident that we're getting this, uh, keep it under 40 minutes down, you know, pretty well, or at least a little bit better. These mailbags always run a little bit longer, but we'll, we'll do what we can, you know, so we'll, we'll dive right in. Uh, Hampton Sipper on Twitter asked, let's talk some recruiting. What do we make of Damani Jackson decommitting and what is your player evaluation of him? Also, who does Alabama close the cycle with? Thanks guys. And roll Todd roll. And then Mikey B ball on Twitter. He reiterated, I'm with Hampton on recruiting. Hypothetical. If we grab Damani and win the war for Denver Harris, does things change for Fagans? I'm thinking Damani, Harris, and Little, along with Fagans, is too many. I realize a lot of this has not happened yet, but if it does, I also realize that Denver Harris appears to be undecided. So, Jimmy, you're a lot more in tune with recruiting. I'd keep up with it as well, but probably not as much as you. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, and, and you know, this is really more of an opinion than a fact, but it, but it's a strong opinion that I have. And I, I think that Alabama fans need to get away from the idea that we cut people from our commitment list. I'm not saying that never happens and never will happen or never will happen again or wouldn't happen now. But that is not something that regularly happens at all, nor has it at any point in the Nick Saban era, but especially lately. So when I hear basically phrasing it another way from that really good question. If Alabama lands Damani Jackson at corner and if Alabama lands Denver Harris at corner and there's still Earl Little out there that he didn't mention, does that mean that Fagans won't be signing with Alabama uh, who's also a cornerback? Uh, the answer is absolutely he will as long as he chooses to. Alabama's not going to cut Traquan Fagans just because Damani Jackson and Denver Harris and Earl Little all want to sign with Alabama too for any number of reasons. Number one, it's ethically wrong. Frankly, I've always believed that. I believe Alabama believes that and Alabama does all they can to avoid it uh, in terms of cutting a kid that's committed to you. Secondly, Fagan's place for Thompson high school. The, that's the best high school prospect. That's the best high school program in Alabama right now that produces the most prospects, including two 2023 five stars that we want to sign. The last thing in the world Alabama would do is hurt anyone's feelings at Thompson High School because it is critical to Alabama's recruiting success right now. So no, Fagans would not be cut. Alabama doesn't cut players. You just have to believe it or not, figure out if you have room for these elite national five stars that want to come. That's the easiest thing to do is and Alabama won't do this, but Clint, the easier thing than cutting Fagans is when Damani Jackson commits and Earl Little commits, and then Denver Harris is the last one to call and he wants to commit. You tell him, I'm sorry, we're out of room. If you want to come, you have to take a gray shirt, which means we got to push you into the, the next cycle. And and as, as insane as that sounds, the fact of the matter is at Alabama, that's far more likely to happen than cutting a kid that's currently publicly committed to Alabama like Traquan Fagans. Completely agree with you. I think right now, realistically, um, Damani Jackson, 
uh, Earl Little and, and, and Fagans. I think those are the three guys that Alabama is probably getting. Um, right. Denver Harris is still in the conversation. Still think Alabama would make room for him if he wanted to come. Because you got to think, um, it's possible that Alabama could lose Josh Job. They could lose Jalen Armour Davis. They've already lost Marcus Banks. And and really, the depth at corner has not been, you know, fantastic. Kool Aid McKinstry is going to be a great player. Kyrie Jackson is going to be a senior next year. Um, he's playing his junior year right now. Devontae Smith, I know that they like him long term. He's he's a guy that was kind of rated a little bit lower, but they like his you know, chances of developing into a, a pretty decent player. But, you know, J- uh, Jacquez Robinson, you know, how was he and where is he at with his development? I think Alabama wouldn't mind. They certainly want multiple corners in this class, in my opinion. I mean, obviously they're targeting a lot and they're in good standing or good position with a lot of them. But I think that it's possible they could take up to four. I don't really – I haven't really dove or crunched the numbers to see how that would do as far as the rest of the class. But I think if Denver Harris wanted to come, you'd find a way to get him in there. But if I had to guess right now, I would say Damani Jackson, uh, Earl Little uh, Jr., and and like I said, Fagans as well. As far as Damani Jackson and what I've seen on tape, I went and watched him a little bit and don't have access to his high uh, high school film. I have access to the highlights like everybody else, and I think that you can really learn a lot more about a player um, when you see you know the, the full you know not just when he's making a great play, but when balls aren't being thrown his way and. Uh, there's a lot of things that you don't see on tape, or excuse me, that you would see that you will not see on a highlight film. But you know, six one, one hundred eighty five pounds, one hundred ninety pounds. You know, big guy, long guy, at least for a corner. Plays extremely physical. Definitely can play press man. Uh, has a lot of athleticism. Ball skills are still improving for him, but I think he's gotten better in that area. I like where he's at as far as you know. There's a reason that he's ranked as a top five player in this class. And I also think that he's a player, you know, like uh, Sertan or, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick or Marlon Humphrey um, who can play early in his career. If it's a first-year guy, if it's a second-year guy, I think he's going to come in and do fantastic things. So I really like Damani Jackson just like a lot of other people do. And I think Alabama's in really good shape to land him. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I've seen a lot of Damani's junior tape. A lot of people, you know, he's injured his senior year, didn't get to play a lot of football his senior year because he's hurt. But based off his junior tape, he is a national top 10, national top five prospect, uh, plays at uh, modern day high school in California where Bryce Young played. Uh, so he, he has a relationship actually with Bryce Young. That's been very helpful to Alabama in this recruitment. Uh, he is as I'll just put it this way. And and people people that know me know, know what a big deal. I say this Damani to me is as good of a cornerback prospect as you will ever sign. He's as good. As, as you could realistically ever find. He's a five-star every single season. I mean, this is a, this is a, I, I don't use the term can't miss and I'm not going to use it now uh, because you, you never really know, but Damani Jackson is a near perfect prospect. He's got every, every single trait you would look for in a cornerback. He not only checks the box, it's an A plus in every box. He has track speed but he plays a position that requires a lot of football skill. He is a four-year starter at one of the best high school programs in the United States. Uh, He has ideal size, ideal speed, uh, and the football skills show out on tape. He's a kid. You've already used Minka Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, These are already some of the best players in the NFL. Domini uh, potentially is as good as those guys. So uh, it would be a big deal if Damani commits to Alabama. 
It is thought that he will now that he has formally decommitted from Southern Cal over the weekend. Uh, and he is, it's, it's going to be Alabama or Michigan unless Southern Cal retains Dante Jackson uh, on their staff because Dominie is very close to Dante Jackson, the coach that recruited him to Southern Cal. That could be a curveball at the very end. Uh, that's why Alabama continues to recruit Earl Little and Denver Harris and other cornerbacks. But uh, I like Alabama's chances. He is, uh, Clint and I were talking before we even got on the air. Uh, he is what I jokingly refer to as a six-star uh, that on three refers to as five-star plus. That means five-star plus is a kid that is a five-star with every recruiting service. And that is Dominique Jackson from modern day high school in California. hundred percent. And when you look at what Nick Saban's looking for in a prototypical corner, uh, being six, one kind of, you're going to need to have length. You're going to need to have a physical style of play. You need to be able to play press man. Um, he can do that. Um, and he's just extremely physical. So I think that he just, he fits the bill for what it is that Nick Saban's looking for. And I think that uh, if Alabama is able to land him, they're going to be in great shape moving forward, you know, with their cornerback class, regardless of how else it turns out. I think they want to add a couple of more bodies, at least one more if they can. Um, but they'll be in much better shape as far as their depth is concerned moving forward. Next question on the list. Bama boy Troy on Twitter asked, Alabama clinches the West with one more win. If we were to drop one of the two remaining games and beat Georgia, would the committee put us in as a as the first two-loss team ever? I'm skeptical with them ranking Michigan over Michigan State, despite State's head-to-head victory. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this. We're both, you know, uh, pretty much on the, on the same page. I, I don't care. You know, a loss to Arkansas, a loss to Auburn, they're both good enough teams where I don't think the, the committee is going to frown upon that too much. And then if you go into the SEC championship and you beat, uh, you know, Georgia – I think that's going to be viewed very, very favorably. How can you prove that you're not one of the best four teams in the country when you go to the SEC championship, you beat the top team in the country, which nobody else has to do. And yes, you've dropped a couple of games, but with where everything else is at with a lot of these other teams, there are very few undefeated teams left. The ones that are, you know, you're, are you putting UTSA up there? You're putting Cincinnati. I, you know, I don't think so. So I think that puts Alabama in pretty good position. Yeah, uh, a two-loss Alabama gets in if they are the SEC champions, which means defeating Georgia. I agree they would get in. But here, here's – that's the reality. The reality is, yeah, Alabama loses to at Auburn, but then beats Georgia. I agree Alabama would get in as, as a two-loss SEC champion. The SEC champion's probably going to be in the playoff forever. Uh, now, let's also talk about uh, practicality. And practicality is this. If Alabama can't beat Auburn, they're not going to beat Georgia. They're, I mean, I, I just don't see that being what actually happens. Uh, for Alabama to beat Georgia, Alabama's play its best game of the year. You're only going to play your best game of the year is if you come into Atlanta playing well. Uh, I don't see Alabama going into Atlanta uh, recovered from what would now be a stunning loss to Auburn considering Auburn's injury situation. Um, to say nothing of potentially losing to Arkansas when you're a 20-point favorite at home. Uh, so while the, my answer to, uh, to that great question is yes, Alabama would get in, uh, I don't think it's going to play out that way. Uh, Alabama uh, may lose to Georgia, uh, but I, I, I just don't believe Alabama's going to lose to Arkansas or this uh, very injured Auburn team that not only lost Bo Nix, they lost their starting kicker. I believe they've lost their starting tight end. 
And now I hear that their left tackle may also not be uh, healthy enough to play down the stretch. So uh, Alabama should beat Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, Georgia is another question entirely. Here's the thing. First of all, Alabama, if, if they were the type of team to look ahead, you know, like, like uh, Texas A&M, I felt like did that with Alabama, then I would think that it was very possible they could lose to an Auburn. But I agree with you. That's just never been Alabama's style, even though if they lock up the SEC this uh, Saturday against Arkansas, I mean, I mean I, yeah, they might put some guys behind the scenes already starting to scout Georgia and, and creating a game plan or something, but the main focus is going to be on Auburn. They've it's just never been their style to look ahead. So if they go into Jordan Air Stadium and they can't beat Auburn, uh, I think their chances of beating Georgia, while it's still possible, it's just it would be a shock to me if they weren't able to beat Auburn, but they are able to beat Georgia. But then also the, the second part of that question with, with uh, Bama boy Troy being skeptical with the team ranking Michigan, or excuse me, with the, the committee ranking Michigan over Michigan State, head-to-head really doesn't matter a whole lot when they're both getting in. And I don't think Alabama would be getting in over Georgia. I think it would be a both. Yeah, Georgia's in, period. If Georgia beats uh, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, and they are badly, uh, Georgia's in. Georgia Georgia could lose to Alabama 56 to nothing in the SEC championship game. They're in. They're in, period. They're, that's what happens when you're number one by a metric mile, and they are. Uh, Georgia, Georgia's just in. All they have to do is beat Charleston Southern and, and Georgia Tech. Yep, I completely agree. All right, next question. Mom and Bama on Twitter asked, with Roydell out for the season, for the rest of the season, what is your confidence level in our backup crew, including Des Moines? Or is it a non-issue with Trey Sanders' performance on Saturday? And then Richard on Twitter also added, hey, I have a mailbag question. With the running back depth being so thin, is there something holding Kamar Wheaton out of games? Lack of practice reps, question mark, just not ready, question mark. Well, Kamar Wheaton is injured. Uh, Not everybody uh, knows that. You have to watch uh, all of Nick Saban's press conferences to know that. But Kamar Wheaton was injured in fall camp, uh, and he has been injured to this extent. Uh, Clint might know better than me about this, but I do not believe Kamar Wheaton has practiced contact football the entirety of the fall. I I believe Kamar has been with the training staff uh, throughout the fall uh, and has not practiced for any game other than perhaps uh, light drills that don't require contact. Um, so Kamar Wheaton is just not in the plans and no, he won't be healthy for, uh, for a playoff run if Alabama has one. So Kamar is out. Uh, as we know, Jace McClellan has been out for the season for a while, and now Alabama lost Roydell Williams for the season this past weekend. That leaves Alabama with only two running backs who are recruited to play running back at Alabama, Brian Robinson and Trey Sanders. Uh, Brian's situation is obviously is healthy right now. He care, he has a lot of carries. There are going to be more carries and more touches uh, for him against Arkansas and against Auburn and certainly against Georgia. Keeping Brian Robinson healthy is now about the most important task the staff has along with keeping Bryce Young healthy. Uh, we just must have Brian Robinson healthy for this stretch run because so much now depends on him. Trey Sanders, uh, is a more difficult situation. This is my understanding. Clint's may be a little, a little different, but this is my understanding. You have to understand there's a difference between being cleared to play and being 100%. Uh, Trey is cleared to play. He plays in the games. He practices every day. He goes through contact drills when they're required in practice. He is cleared for all of that, and you're cleared whenever the training staff determines 
that your chances for injury or re-injury are no greater than anyone else on the team. And that's the case with Trey. He, he he's, has no greater chance of re-injury than anyone else. So he's cleared to play, right? But that does not mean that Trey Sanders is 100%. And by 100%, they can measure it like two ways. His height and weight, his speed, his 40 time, his shuttle time, that was all measured before his car accident. Trey is not back to those levels yet. He is not as fast or as quick as he was before the injury. So he's not fully back. He's able to play. He's able to take contact. He's able to help us. In my opinion, the Trey Sanders I've seen in the games is a quality SEC running back, but he's not what he was. He's not what he will be. And one other point is this, they wear those uh, GPS tracking devices on the shoulder pads. They can tell who practices hard at the beginning of practice and who's still practicing hard at the end. There may be an issue insofar as Trey sustaining his ability to play hard for for more than an hour. I mean, I I still think there's some stamina issues there. And again, this is to be expected. Trey wasn't in a fender bender accident. He was life flighted from the scene with multiple internal injuries. It's a miracle he's playing football at all less than a year later after a traumatic accident. So we just have to dim down our expectations for what Trey can do. I'm impressed as heck at what he's been able to do so far. And on his uh, carries against New Mexico State this past weekend, I thought he looked pretty good. I'll go so far as to say Trey may even be our starting running back next season. That can happen. But he's just not physically able to be a guy that's going to carry the ball 20 times in a game right now. I, I, I just think they would have to avoid that. But that's what our situation is at running back. We do have two running backs on scholarship. They were recruited to play running back. It's really more like 1.5. And, of course, we have emergency running backs like DeMoy Kennedy and Christian Leary uh, that can carry the ball, but it's not. If we had to play Georgia and those are our two running backs, we're just going to throw the ball 50 times. That's what would happen, to be honest. Yeah, um, and I don't really know the behind the scenes with Trey Sanders. Um, I'm sure you've talked to people that have probably made you aware that he's not back to being hundred percent, you know, and, and it makes sense because he just, he, he, they've given him opportunities at times and it makes you think, okay, why well, if you give him seven, eight carries against Mercer and against some of these other teams, and then you give him 12 on Saturday against, uh, you know, New Mexico state, why can you not give him more carries on a more consistent basis? And I think there's some kind of reason behind that. And it was, it's probably due to, you know, uh, just them holding him back, not because he's not healthy uh, necessarily, but because there's they want to make sure he stays healthy um, and, and do what's best for Trey long term. But, you know, one thing I'll say, because I kind of went back and watched a lot of his reps late last week before we saw him on Saturday against New Mexico State. And then I watched him a little bit when he was uh, playing against them as well. He's actually done a pretty darn good job in pass protection. Um, mm-hmm. That was an area that I was actually pleasantly surprised with. You know, I thought maybe that was a reason, you know, if, if they can't trust you to protect the quarterback and, and know what your responsibility is in pass protection and get the guy blocked that you need to get blocked, then you're not going to play. So I thought, well, maybe that's the reason. And I went back and I looked and I was pleasantly surprised. He's been blocking pretty well in the limited amounts. I mean, I only probably saw five, six, seven uh, reps in, in pass pro, but in those, you know, seven reps, you know, six reps, whatever it was, I think he performed pretty well. So 
I, I don't think that's the reason. I think you're on to something, and I don't know if it's just being them being cautious. I don't know if there's concerns about giving them 15, 20 carries in a football game, but I think that they, you know, you, you'll start to see some more Trey Sanders down the stretch, um, and we'll find out if they're not giving him, you know, more carries with these injuries happening at other places. If they, if they start giving all that workload to Brian Robinson Jr., and that'll tell you there is definitely something going on. So we'll kind of have to see. The next question on the list, which is somewhat running back related, kind of, but the Hypesman Award on Twitter asked, if you could bring back any running back from the Saban era to be on this year's team, who would it be? Uh, one that's healthy. Any one of them that's healthy. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, any one of I mean, if we're, if we're just having fun with the question and I can have any Saban running back to be on this team, I'm going to pick Derrick Henry because I think he's the best running back that's played at Alabama under Nick Saban. Uh, it, it, while healthy, he's the best running back in the NFL. I think he'll go down in history as one of the great running backs to ever play the sport of football. Uh, so I, I'm going to go Derrick Henry. But in terms of helping this football team, uh, any healthy back from T.J. Yeldon to Eddie Lacy to, to, to Glenn Coffey, to, to Mark Ingram, to Trent Richardson, uh, any healthy back would be a huge help. But let me say this uh, while we're uh, dreaming of having another running back. I, I could not be more proud of the job Brian Robinson has done this year. He's a guy that in, in some cases was sort of maligned, you could say, online anyway, uh, because he had never really made the big play. Uh, he had never uh, – you know, he hadn't looked like the type of guy in the past, Clint, that was going to be first team all SEC. He had never really looked like that in the past. He had just looked like a good backup running back. Uh, but I think Brian Robinson, uh, through hard work and good coaching from our new running back coach, Robert Gillespie, I, I think Brian is really coming to his own. I'll tell you who loves Brian Robinson, and he's an outstanding scout, is Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl here in Mobile. Uh, Nagy was a longtime NFL scout, now does a great job running the game and is now ESPN, one of the ESPN's top draft experts. He loves Brian Robinson. Brian was, and this is, uh, I'll let y'all in some inside baseball with the Senior Bowl. Brian Robinson was the first running back to be uh, offered a spot in the Senior Bowl in this group. The first one, first invitation goes out in the mail to Brian Robinson. And he got it this week, by the way. And, and Brian will be playing in the Senior Bowl if he's healthy. Uh, at the end of this year, because we're going to be riding that horse a lot down the stretch. So hopefully, hopefully Brian will be healthy going into the senior bowl because, uh, you know, that'll be such a great opportunity for him. But Brian's been great. And can we win a national championship with Brian Robinson as our starting running back? Absolutely. He's proven it. If you could bring back any running back, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, for example, you're going to say Derrick Henry. Um, I understand that answer, but I also disagree. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think Alabama could absolutely make it work with Derrick Henry as their running back, but he, you know, he, he needs to be in a run first style of offense with a different kind of offensive line than Alabama currently has. Now, like I said, I think you can make it work certainly. Um, and he, he can succeed out of kind of the spread formations, but he actually does his best work when the quarterback is under center or you're in pistol. That's what the Tennessee Titans do. Bryce Young, I don't know if you saw him in that under center snap uh, recently. It didn't turn out so well. I would never put that kid under center. Um, I just don't think that it works. And so, you know, I think that my answer would probably be Najee Harris, uh, 100%. Just he's used to playing in the spread. He's used to a, a, a pass-heavy attack. And he's a great, excellent catcher out of the backfield. Now, Derrick Henry has proven to be a much more effective pass catcher out of the backfield 
you know, this past season before he got hurt than a lot of people realized. So he could certainly be that as well. But Najee Harris, I mean, he had, you know, close to – it was like 70 catches. He had close to 750 yards, and he had double-digit touchdowns in just his last two seasons at Alabama. Great pass catching back, great in pass protection, great runner, uh, big physical guy, guy, but he's more used to the style of offense, and, and he can play and be effective in it because because we've seen it. And so I think that if I had to pick any running back, it would be Najee Harris. But at the same time, you'd have to tweak some things with, with getting Derrick Henry back in there. But he's a Heisman-winning running back. He's 6'3". He's close to 250 pounds. He's a load to bring down. And, you know, if you handed him 30, 35 carries in a game because you only had two, you know, healthy scholarship running backs, he could certainly be the one that could handle it. So I understand that. I just think schematically I would have a little bit of a different preference. Oh, that's a great answer about uh, – that's a great point about Najee being a better fit in what Alabama is doing offensively right now exclusively with the shotgun, exclusively with spread concepts and not really going under center and doing things in the pistol. And uh, no, no, that's exactly uh, that, that. That's a real good answer. Alabama would benefit from Najee Harris and, 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 and Derrick Henry. And like I said, in terms of what Alabama's actual running back situation is right now, pretty much any running back that's been part of a first team rotation at Alabama would be really useful right now. Because as I said, we're down to 1.5 running backs. Uh, Christian Leary and Demoy Kennedy are playing running back, but I mean that's what they're doing. They're playing running back. I suppose out there, there's Alabama fans that think Leary and Demoy are going to be star running backs at Alabama. What I'm telling you is, as soon as this semester is over and this season ends, Christian Leary is going back to the wide receiver room. Demoy Kennedy is going back to the inside linebacker room. Um, that's that that's the position they're recruited to play. And I think Alabama's still high on both of them at their original positions. They're 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 playing running back because they were our best options among the guys that that are on the sidelines and don't regularly play. And they're certainly willing to do it because it's their clearest path to playing Tom. You know, if you're Des Moines Kennedy at inside linebacker right now, you got about five or six guys easily ahead of you before you're sniffing the field. Um, if you're Christian Leary, you got five, six, seven guys ahead of you right now, even with the injury to JoJo Earl that, you know, are going to prevent you from being able to get on the field. At running back, you're – I mean, either one of those two guys, they're one more injury away from touching the football. And, you know, so if, if from their perspective, maybe long-term that's kind of slowing down or hindering their development at their, you know, respective position that Alabama wants them at long-term. But they're willing to sacrifice that to get on the field as early as possible. And who knows what can happen. I know uh, Baylor, they moved uh, a linebacker who was in a similar situation to Des Moines Kennedy – to running back and and he's turned out to be a heck of a running back for them. I forget his name, but he's been very good. And so, you know, if, if Des Moines Kennedy gets out there because out of necessity and he, and he shows out against Arkansas or Auburn or Georgia, I mean, you know, you never know what can happen, but at the same time, I think they're just looking for playing time as soon as possible in Alabama. Just they have them there out of necessity. All right. Last question on the list. Caleb Lambert on Twitter asked, do you expect Alabama to incorporate more pocket manipulation and boots for Bryce to help compensate for the weakness of the offensive line? Surprise, we haven't seen more of those things. Maybe more RPOs to throw over blitzing linebackers with slants too. Now, here's what I have to say about that. The number one thing or the number one way to protect a quarterback is to keep him in the pocket. But if you're going to do that, you need to have an offensive line that can keep him protected. Otherwise, you need to make sure that you're getting him on the move as much as possible. Bootlegs, rollouts, you know, all that stuff. You know, when you look at the Seattle Seahawks, they move Russell Wilson around or get him on the move a lot. There's two reasons for that. A, because he's a little bit undersized. It gives him more opportunities to see the field. And two, 
the offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks has been suspect for as long as I can remember. Um, they've tried to address it. They haven't been able to do it very effectively. So Alabama, in my opinion, because Bryce is a little bit undersized, because he's got a lot of mobility, I think they could use him in a similar manner to the way the Seattle Seahawks use Russell Wilson. Now, the point of bootlegs is to use misdirection to confuse defenders. The only problem with that is that when you use a bootleg, you're only utilizing half of the field. Because, you know, when you're rolling out to one side, all the route concepts and stuff, you got a lot of people kind of meshed in the same area, only utilizing half the field. That can work on the high school level. It can work on the college level. The problem is, is that it doesn't really work on the NFL level because there's way too many guys who are super athletes that can cover a lot of ground quickly and have a lot of closing speed. And so you typically don't want to do that. You want to spread NFL defenses out. Bill O'Brien has been in the NFL for quite a while. It makes you think, does he approach the college game where I think you can do a lot more bootleg stuff? Um, and does he take the same approach as he would in the NFL where you're not able to do it as much? I would be curious to know a little bit more about that. Now, the RPO, that stuff is a little bit more obvious, you know, and I think that that's something that Alabama should utilize. And I also do think they should utilize more bootleg type stuff as well. But the RPO, you pull the linebackers, you, you know, up, um, get them to bite a little bit. You hit them with some quick slants. And then also, the Jimmy, what's going on with the, the lack of screens? I don't understand. If I was Alabama, I'd be using a, a lot more screens to kind of soften up the defense a little bit. Because when you look at Alabama's offensive line, JV and Cohen, Darian Dalcourt, hell, even a guy like uh, Chris Owens. These guys are, are not the biggest guys. They're actually pretty athletic. They move well in space. Allow them to get in space on screens and bubbles and, and some of those things and let them get upfield and, and you know make some blocks downfield. I don't really understand why they haven't been utilizing the screen game a little bit more than they have. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I, there mu it's so obvious to me, we do so little of it, Clint, that there must be a reason uh, because there's so little of it and it's such an obvious solution to some of Alabama's problems and defending uh, all the all the problems they faced in the tackle box when LSU overloaded the box, uh, a screen is an obvious call, it, and when we just didn't do it often. Now, they did try it a time or two, and it, it actually didn't work well. I, I don't know whether it's they don't like Brian as much as a receiver or they don't like the receivers blocking outside very much. I mean, I, I don't know, but they they seem to almost avoid running screens and it's got to be for some reason. Uh, I don't know what it is. I just I think that Bill O'Brien just doesn't – I just don't think he prefers to have the screens. I mean, I think he likes developing stuff right. downfield. And with Alabama's offensive line, um, which, like we said, it's not all the offensive line. Running backs have been an issue. There have been things that have opened up, uh, you know, for, for Bryce Young that he hadn't be able, been able to either see or hit at times. But it's, it just feels like that Bill O'Brien is not utilizing the screen game enough. And you're right. There's got to be some kind of reason for it because it's something that he should utilize more. I feel like they got more offensive linemen that fit and can do some good things in that area. But, you know, for whatever reason, he's not. Now, here's one thing, though, I'm going to be adamant about. Now, now, I've said this several times on the show, but, I, I, you know, it's worth reiterating based on his question about the boots. Uh, first of all, they tried a, a boot. They tried to boot Bryce out at the very end of the LSU game, and it was a disastrous play. <laughs> it was a disaster. I think LSU uh, guessed right there. They might, they might have guessed right, but it, but it was bad. But apart from that, I want everyone to picture a meeting that probably happened halfway through fall camp or a week before they started specific game planning against Miami 
and an offensive meeting that Bill O'Brien's running. Maybe Nick Saban's in the room. Sometimes he is, sometimes he's not for these offensive meetings. And, and they're, they're talking about not a plan for Miami, but in general for the season. And it is so easy to picture or hear Bill O'Brien say, uh, the first priority we have is keeping Bryce Young healthy because we cannot accomplish our goals with the backup quarterbacks. That's a little brutal. I don't know that was said, but it's easy to imagine it being said. And the reason that I know it was said or suspected it was is we have a quarterback that is really dangerous with his feet. He's really fast and is sort of ideally suited to make a lot of plays on the ground. And we are now 10 games into the season. How many designed quarterback runs have been called through 10 games? And it's easy to add them up because it's zero. Not one time, despite having a quarterback who runs a legitimate sub 4-6-40 and can make defenders miss in a phone booth, and we haven't done it once. And that is all the proof you need that by design, by demand, the coaches do not want Bryce getting hit, period. The way they look at it is we would rather punt the ball than Bryce getting hit because we can punt and still win the game if Bryce gets hurt the season's goals are lost so I think that's why another reason we don't see boots and more RPOs uh is is they just want to minimize the number of times in the game you can't you can't keep him in bubble wrap he's on the field he's gonna get hit but they want to minimize the number of times Bryce gets hit they just figure it would wreck the season uh, next year could be different. Next year, they'll have more confidence in Paul and Jalen Milrow and maybe Ty Simpson, who's showing up. They'll have more confidence. And one final thing I want to say is against Georgia, when you're finally an underdog, when Alabama's playing someone this year, that Alabama might literally be an underdog per Vegas. Alabama would be a three-point underdog in that game right now. Uh, you pull out all the stops. These quarterback runs we haven't seen all year might be the wrinkle. That might be the wrinkle. I think there will be a wrinkle. Alabama faces teams every week that do new things. They know they have to fool Alabama to move the ball, show, show Alabama one thing, and then do something else. That might be what Alabama does against Georgia. And an obvious wrinkle to me is getting Bryce on the move. Uh, they've, they've got 12 games of tape to watch Alabama, and they haven't seen Bryce on design quarterback runs, the, the, the rollouts, the, the naked boots, all the other things they could do to get Bryce out in space and make plays with his feet. Maybe that's something you see against Georgia because that's the game you pull out all the stops. If Bryce gets hit a few times in that game and can't play because he's hurt, so he can't play in the outback bowl, I doubt they'll uh, crowd themselves to sleep over that. Agreed. All right, that's going to do it for yet another episode, another mailbag episode of the Bama on 3 show. We'll be back um, either Wednesday or Thursday, depending. Um, no, I guess we will be back tomorrow because we're going to get college football play uh, playoff rankings reactions, and I'm looking forward to that. I'll be curious to see where some of these teams are ranked. I'll be curious to see how far Texas A&M falls because that's Alabama's best win right now, or I guess Ole Miss is now. Um, but I'll be curious to see you know how Auburn falls. I almost guarantee they're probably falling out of the top 25, but I'll be curious to see where they land. I'll be curious to see how far up Arkansas can climb after beating LSU in overtime because that's the opponent and that's going to be the game that a lot of people are going to look at and say, okay, it's a top 25 matchup, but uh, it'll be interesting, Um, but we'll be reacting to that. uh, There's one more question that we didn't get to today. We'll throw that on that episode as well and talk about it a little bit in depth. 
And that was the defensive question from New Mexico State. And I said we were going to talk about it, but there was way too many questions that we got for this episode to include it today. But we'll have more time because we'll react to the rankings tomorrow. And then we'll take 10, 15 minutes to answer just that one question in particular. So, Jimmy, once again, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Awesome. Roll Tide. All right. And like I said, that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama on three show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.